river's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm a Welcome back to the TradQuest podcast, James Orr. And Bob the Bowhunter Borland. What's going on, brother? Oh, not much, man. Living the dream. How about you? Oh, man. We record these uh, intros kind of after we do these, some of these interviews. And um, this one is for our Bow and Arrow episode. And we kind of just dive into, uh, I think we were going to dive into equipment on this, but it kind of just turned into talking about bows and arrows. Yeah. We, if I remember right, we just went over kind of our setups what we've been shooting and how that's kind of evolved over the years for both of us and yeah we rambled on forever about it so <laughs> we didn't get into all the other stuff yeah so we'll have to do a gear kind of a gear review type podcast down the road uh, but this is just really uh we had a few guys asking more about our bow and arrow setups and how they apply to where we hunt and what we do and how they've evolved and how we feel about them. So if you guys are into hearing more about uh, bows and arrows, you know, this is the podcast for you guys. And I, I can tell you uh, a little hint, you know, we just came off of a podcast that will be coming out after this one. And it's got me pretty jacked up. That's all I'll tell you. Uh, it, uh, I, I love doing the podcast. I mean, it is a ton of work to do them. But every time we get to interview awesome guys, I come off on this little bit of high. And I hope that it, they're being received uh, with you guys the same way because it is really cool to talk bow hunting with uh, all these great people that we're having the opportunity to talk to. Heck, yeah, that's for sure. And Yeah, hopefully you guys are appreciating us sharing those with you. And if you are, go over to our Patreon page. We're constantly working on that thing and building it up we've added some more uh some more discounts and stuff to our tiers and and we're going to be adding to that and throwing some posts on there and some little videos over time so be patient with us we've already kind of had one little hiccup with it but we're we're uh working our way through it we really appreciate everybody that is supporting us on there it helps us a lot we aren't we aren't out there trying to make a killing on this thing we're just trying to get it to pay for itself so we appreciate your guys' help, and if uh, you are on Instagram, you can just go up to the top of our bio and click on the patreon.com forward slash tradquest, and uh, if you guys uh, go to our website, you can just donate there if you don't want to go through the Patreon page, um, and we will have our links back up on there to go straight from there to our Patreon page, so... A lot yeah, of different so ways to find it, and if you guys have any questions about it, shoot us email at tradquestpodcast.gmail.com. But uh, get on there and support us. We appreciate it, and we're doing uh, doing some giveaways for our listeners, and we already drew the name for the next listener, and we want to thank uh, Addictive Archery for donating us this sweet hip quiver, custom Hand- leather made. Yeah. Handmade by Andy Ponce. Yep, and he's uh he's helped us out a ton throughout this whole thing. He's like uh he's our buddy. He's not, you know, technically 
a sponsor, but he kind of is. He helps us out hugely. So if you guys need any arrows or any, everybody that messages us and wants to get set up, the new guys to traditional archery, they're like, what kind of arrow should I shoot? What kind of bow should I get? We always, we'll give them a little advice and then we'll say, just call Andy. Yeah. And <laughs> take I care. Think he's got it all. A lot of guys think that Andy's just doing wood arrows, but Andy does carbons, aluminums, woods, and he also, he's a full scale archery shop. So if you just need feathers, Knox, feather yeah. knocks, glue. glue, dips. Uh, he's got. He can get you a young feather burner. He can get you a cresting machine. He can get you a broadhead. Everything that's related to traditional archery. Um, Andy's got that available over at Addictive Archery, and you can find him on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, and on his website. So yeah, definitely give Andy a a, a look. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever come across. For sure, and he's a he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to all this stuff. He's knows a lot more about it than we do. That's for sure. So, yeah, and I'd also like to point out that anyone that's listening, we want to help all the mom and pop shops, uh, everybody in traditional archery. So, uh, if you guys would like to be featured on the show, uh, you have some donations for us that we can give back to the listeners. Uh, get a hold of us and we would love to give them away and we'd love to highlight what you guys are doing and what you have to offer for the community because we want to help everybody. For sure. And Sam Kuntz just won himself a sweet hip quiver. So Sam, we'll, uh, we'll be shooting you a message and get this thing over to you. And yeah, thank you for the support, everybody. And thank you, Sam Kuntz. Uh, and we appreciate everybody who is uh, becoming a, a contributing member of TradQuest and supporting us through uh, some donations on Patreon or through our PayPal. We do appreciate it uh, immensely. And like Bob said, uh, this is just uh, to uh, keep the show rolling. We just want to promote traditional bow hunting in a positive light. And uh, we hope that that's what's what's going on here. We hope that's being well-received. And if you guys have any idea of someone that you want on the show that you haven't heard about. Maybe it's a guy that's from your hometown. Maybe it's a mentor of yours. Uh, we love getting the guys that no one knows about, um, just the regular blue-collar bow hunter. So if you could send us an email at uh, tradquestpodcast at gmail.com, we would love to hear from you guys. And any kind of uh, feedback on the podcast, uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. For sure. And so enjoy uh, this episode of me and Bob rambling and talking <laughs> bows and arrows. What's going on, Bob? How much, buddy? How you doing today? Oh, man, I uh, slept in, which means, you know, getting up at 630 instead of 5 because I didn't get to go hunting today. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Tell us how your big Roosevelt, late Roosevelt Elkhart went. Yeah, because I'm not an elk slaying machine like Bob, (laughs) uh, I didn't fill my tag in September. Uh, had some close calls on, you know, I gave it my best then. So I get a second opportunity for, uh, a January, uh, Roosevelt. It's, uh, three points or better bull elk tag. I mean, I wish it was for cows and spikes. (laughs) But it wasn't. I was limited to a branch bull. 
it was January 5th to the 20th. It was kind of like a draw tag, but it's not that it's pretty easy to draw. And I, I kind of used it. Uh, I mean, definitely I was out hunting, but I learned, you know, more about some of the new country that I'm hunting. It's kind of a glorified scouting trip. Uh, these bulls, after 30 days of archery hunting, and then they transition into, I think there's a, a deer season for 30 days, rifle deer. I mean, they're not being hunted, but the pressure's on them. And then there's two rifle seasons with like 6,000 tags. And then a muzzleloader season. Gosh, I feel sorry for these elk. And then, and then this late archery tag. And while I'm hunting archery, there's a cow rifle cow hunt going on at the same time. So these bulls are tucked away. I feel they're extremely nocturnal this time of year. Uh, the mature bulls have left the cow groups and I, I don't know where they're at because I really didn't find, um, well, I did, I did find one mature bull during this hunt. Um, that was, uh, I, I caught an elk butt down in the bottom of this canyon sticking out in this, uh, reap rod patch, which is like, reap rod is like, imagine, 20 foot Christmas trees planted really close together. And it's like a commercial planting practice and they'll let those trees grow up and then they'll thin every other one out to ensure that they get a good tree production. So it's really hard to go into those patches because they're filled with blackberry bushes and the trees are just hugged tight. And so I made a stock on him and that, he just disappeared like a ghost. Uh, I had a few other opportunities there. I found a few raghorn bulls that were still with the cow groups, young bulls that were legal bulls. And uh, I think this was a two-week hunt, and I got, I think I got eight days, eight full days, maybe a couple quick evening hunts in. So I, I was fortunate to get out there and stretch my legs and get soaking wet. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing else going on as far as hunting this time of year. So yeah. uh sounded like you came close a couple times, so yeah, it wasn't I, all for I, nothing. Yeah, it wasn't all for nothing. Uh, my really my uh my best situation I had some elk in a perfect stockable uh position and it was raining cats and dogs and elephants outside and I did this long two hour stock that was really a ton of fun. And when I got really close to the point where I could hear the elk and even see some of the elk through the brush, I basically ran into a doe and a yearling. And I did like a 10-minute standoff, you know, from three yards with these deer because I knew what they were going to do once they uh, they left. They So I, I did a standoff with them, and I – they finally relaxed and, and kind of moved off and I went the other way and I tried to get on these elk and because of thick brush, I had to turn around and go back the way where those does were at and I didn't see them anywhere. So I proceeded to move up on these elk 
And man, I got busted by those does and they went and told on me really quick. Like, and those elk buried out of the country and ran across this cut and into some timber. And I proceeded to try to follow them and was unsuccessful on that. And, uh, when I was heading back to the truck, one of the bulls didn't stick with the group. It seems like there's always one smart bull that knows not to run with the group. And I ran into him with the wind wrong and that was a no go. He was out of there. Um, but I, I learned some valuable things on stocking that day. And, uh, what I, I think the coolest thing I learned was I did some, I did a lot of stump shooting during, I do a lot of stump shooting period, but I found myself stumping in torrential downpours, which I think is actually kind of a new thing for me. And my current, uh, bow and arrow setup, uh, really surprised me on how forgiving it is. Um, apparently I did a pretty good job on my arrow tuning because these arrows, Bob, man, they fly perfect. I mean, my feathers were all matted down and just pouring outside. And those put anything on them to treat them. You know what? I, I didn't, I normally do, uh, for blacktails. I'm pretty, uh, you know, prepared for that usually. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I've tried the powders and a bunch of different things, but the, my go-to product is, uh, it's called no snow. You can get it from three rivers archery. It says it's for feathers and whisker biscuits. I I don't know if that is any different. Some guys say that camp dry, um, silicone spray is the same thing. I don't know that because I've never confirmed that. I have had great luck with the no snow product and how I apply that is, um, I kind of hold the arrow at a good distance, maybe like two feet and I just mist it onto my feather while turning the, the shaft in my hand mm-hmm. and I get that uh, on there and I let it dry, uh, for, I don't know, three, four hours. And then I do it again and I probably put four or five light coats on there and that makes those. Uh, definitely water repellent, but there's a downside to that. I find that you lose longevity in those feathers over time. I mean, not while you're hunting, but like the next season, I find those to, if you're continuing to shoot them throughout the season, they start to break the feather down. And so if I stiffens them up so much, right? Right. So, and if you overspray them, they get too stiff. So you got to be careful with that. You want to be able to make it so they're not like crispy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a good option because I've tried putting plastic bags over them and covers and powders and, and that's been, and I think the other thing that, um, I contribute to even without the product is I'm a four flesh guy. And so I think even when they do shrink up, having a, a four fletch on there, you end up with more surface area feather. And I think that that is also beneficial when hunting in the rain. Um, what, what precautions do you take? Well, I know everybody says the, the powder doesn't work, but that's what I always used. And I've, I always stayed away, you know, guys using the snow stuff or the even hairspray back in the day, guys would say, I just spray, but that always, you know, the smell. And I was hunting tree stands a lot when I was hunting blacktails. So, I use the, I always keep a, 
a little bottle of that feather dry in my pickup or whatever. And I think boning makes it or something. Yep. And then I always have some Ziplocs around. And if it's pouring down rain, I'll put, I basically put that powder in a Ziploc bag and then I'll dip each arrow into it and kind of mat it into the feathers. And then I'll put the whole bag over. I use a Great Northern the five arrow quiver, kind of the circle, and he makes a the flat arrow gripper too, but I use the circle one. And so then I'm able to get, I put four arrows in that Ziploc with a little bit of powder still in there. And I leave the one out and then I'll kind of rotate that back in throughout the day if it's a torrential downpour. And I've had really good luck with that. I mean, in the pouring down blacktail woods, it's kind of, you got to stay up on it, but it works. So, so you're using the, you're having to reapply the, the, uh, powder throughout the day and that's where you're finding success There's with usually that? usually enough. It just kind of stays in that baggie, you know, like I don't put a ton in there. You just put a little bit, leave a little bit in the baggie and, uh, and yeah, it, it'll work all day. Cause well, I'm, you have, I'm always, you have three or four that are in there. And then, like I said, if one of them gets soaked, you can kind of rotate it back in and, it works good. Yeah. I know Andy makes uh he's making some fletch covers that have kind of like a, I think they're nylon or whatever. They're they're pretty waterproof. You could use something like that. It's got a fleece cover. It's probably a little bit quieter than the Ziploc bag, but it works. Yeah, I've seen um, a guy. This is always a really good, interesting topic, and if I I'm all, we're all, I'm always trying to find the next best thing when it comes to this. Um, I seen a guy that was using, um, baby bottle plastic bags and he was literally wrapping each individual arrow with a little rubber band and he would slide them off as he was loading his arrow up. Yeah. And he swore by that. I've heard of guys using I've heard of guys using non-lubricated condoms. Yeah, that's, uh, cool. that's that's interesting. Um, I actually this morning I, I don't I don't usually go through the forms very much, but for some reason I was kind of laying there looking at Leatherwall and Trad Gang, and I seen a, I seen you know this uh, thread, so I popped on there and talk. Guys are talking about just what we're talking about, and. Some guys were talking about using black magic tire repellent to make your tires black again. And that seemed really strange to me. Um, I guess because that stuff smells like god awful. They say you have to air it out for a week, but there was guys swearing by it. Um, and there was a story on there that I wouldn't mind sharing. This guy said that he was using the feather dry. And, you know, hunting in the rain, I think he was hunting in Whitetail Woods, he said. And he had, he kept a Ziploc bag of it, and he had it in his uh, glove box. And he was on his way to the hunt, and he got pulled over for speeding or something. And when he reached into the glove box to get out his uh, uh, registration and insurance, uh, the deputy pulled him out of the car and handcuffed him because <laughs> he saw this bag of white powder. <laughs> nice. And he tried to explain himself, and the deputy told him to keep his mouth shut. And he pulled the powder, and he opened it up and kind of gave it a sniff. And he said that, you know, that powder's like oh, yeah. wicked lightweight. And he inhaled a whole bunch of it. Ooh. And uh, he said that uh, the, the, the officer was uh, a little 
a little bummed out. And he said that ever since that day, he switched to a silicone spray because he felt it worked better and it was less harm to his local law enforcement. There you go. Yeah, so that was pretty good. See, I like the I like the feather dry in the baggie because if it's even if you're elk hunting, I'll always keep and I don't put like I said I don't put a lot in the baggie. It doesn't take a ton, but I'll always keep a Ziploc bag in my pack somewhere that's got a little bit in it, you know, in a separate little compartment because that stuff dries everything out. And if if you have it in with other things, it just I mean even your fingers you get it on your fingers it just feels weird so. I'll usually, there's always a little compartment in my pack somewhere that I'll have and it's just got that in it. So and I'll even double bag it. And so then if, if you're, you know, cause you can hunt for 10 days and not have a, a drop. And then all of a sudden you're out there and a big storm comes in and you're, you know, you're working in on a bull or a buck or whatever. I can take that little baggie out and then I'm good. And okay, so, I don't have to go back to my truck and get like a spray and wait 10 days for something to happen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just there. Yeah. So with the sprays, you, I mean, you can do it the evening before and be good to go the next day. I know that with the, the spray I've used, no snow, Yeah. but with the powder, I've tried it once, but I think I used it wrong. So I tried to put dry feathers in there. Like I was coating them. You're actually taking a wet well, arrow and no, sticking you, it in there. You can do it with the dry ones. You just got to, you put it in the baggie with it and you got to kind of mat it in there a little bit. Okay. And you know, kind of squeeze it into the feathers a little bit and it works. Now, to add to this, I have had a guy tell me recently that he's using a product that's for dry flies for fly fishing, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, a jet, and it's a gel, and he works it into the feather gently, and he's had good luck with that. And I, I read today on Trad Gang a guy referring to a spray that's designed for dry flies that has no no odor. So I think beside that. Or, um, and I was talking to, um, I was talking to Aaron Snyder on the phone the other day and he had asked me about, cause you, you've brought up the elevated rest and vein thing a few times and he was wondering about that. And I had no information on that, but I would imagine that you would have to have some pretty good tuning to get that to work out. No, I mean, they, they, they say I, I messed with it a little bit, but I had so many shoulder issues at the time I couldn't. Probably wasn't getting a good release, and I couldn't shoot enough to get it figured out. But the guys that do it say it's easier to tune because you're using a elevated rest. So I, I don't know. Trent's, Trent does it, so we'd have to get Trent on here to ask him about it. I mean, he uses his feathers too, but I know he's always got a few veins in his quiver. And that's yeah. how a lot of guys just use those bare weather rests. Trent makes his own. And, uh, yeah, Trent that's Langer. A, that's, a good, that's a good route to go. Like I said, if I ever switched up from the woodies, I would uh, – I would do that. Actually, I think I killed, I think I did kill one animal with an elevated rest with my recurve. I'm trying to remember what it, which one it was. It was years ago. I was messing with it. But I still, I probably shouldn't have shot the dang thing because I wasn't getting perfect arrow flight at the time either. But it worked. But uh, I went back to the woods because just, I don't, I just, what I'm shooting now shoots perfect. So I don't, I don't have a, I'm not a tinkerer. But I also wonder if the veins do sometimes. I, the problems I have is always the animal jumping the string. So I don't know if the veins would be a little quieter. Uh, I don't see them being light. quieter. I don't think so. Um, and I, I would, like you said, you weren't getting perfect arrow flight. I would imagine that uh, it would be some work to, because. But yeah. I don't know if if I was 
if I was hunting blacktails all the time, I would probably spend some time and try it because it's, I, it rains a lot when you're hunting blacktails. I sat, I sat, I sat 90 hours one year, uh, and it rained pretty much every day that I was out. Yeah. And with my system of, uh, the no snow, I was good to go. Yeah. But yeah. I think what you guys will find is it really is a test of your arrow tuning. Cause like I was saying, I had no products on that day and man, I was so impressed with how well my arrows flew. Um, you know, I don't know if that's contributing it to the four fletch or just uh, my deal diligence of tune. But you also were shooting blunts and not broadheads either. Yeah, that's, that is true. That is a, that is a good point. Um, so yeah, to the conclusion to the Roosevelt elk hunt, it was a wet one. <laughs> um, I did, uh, I had a really cool run in with the mountain lion. That was probably the highlight of the hunt. I was uh, moving through some rock bluffs and I had a lion. I, it wasn't stalking me or anything. I just ran into it and he was above me and I think he was probably sleeping or doing whatever he was doing, but he popped his head out and it was a close 20 yard straight up encounter. Um, I did have a tag, but there was no shots uh, presented itself and it's always cool to run in to those big cats. So that was, uh, that was a highlight. Um, and I also put my eyes on quite a few mature blacktail bucks in an area. Uh, so those deer have a small home range and I was excited to, uh, learn that they lived in some of the places that I didn't know those bucks were around. Sweet. Yeah. Um, so since we're talking feathers, uh, what's your, what's your feather setup? Uh, well, I, for the last probably 10 years, I've just been shooting five inch. I've been shooting mostly five inch shield cut feathers, but, uh, that last dozen Andy made me are parabolics. And then, uh, actually I'm probably, I got a bunch of turkey feathers and I got a good buddy of mine at work that, um, I got just this, actually a couple of them got them into traditional archery last year. They went down and hunted some mule deer in the desert. So they're all in. And my buddy Brady, he's got a farm and he's got a bunch of peacocks and geese out there and all kinds of stuff. So he brought in all kinds of feathers. So, um, I just found my fletching jig. I haven't fletched my own feathers in a few years because Andy's been doing it all for me, <laughs> but, uh, we're splitting feathers and we're going to, I got, like I said, I got a bunch of turkey feathers, so I'm going to, I'm going to fletch up some, some homemade ones. So nice. And I know you, you, uh, Andy makes yours and he uses that young feather burner. So yep. he's doing like a custom high back parabolic for you. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. these ones, we just got a chopper and that's what I did before when I made my own. I just had a, right. I had a chopper. I did, I killed a nice mule deer in Nevada. I don't know four years ago or something like that, four or five years ago now with goose feathers. That's another thing. Um, I fletched some up back when I was blacktail hunting with the goose feathers because they have, you know, the natural oil in them. They're obviously in the water a lot, and they work really well on repelling the water just naturally. So if you can get your hand on some Canadian goose feathers um, and make your own, that works really well too. So I'm going to... I'm going to have a hodgepodge of arrows probably this year of goose and turkey and peacock. 
Mm-hmm. You're sounding like yo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, they'll all be they'll all be on the same Sherwood shafts. There won't be carbons, aluminums, and everything else mixed in there. But uh, it's it's fun to kind of make your own. I haven't done it in a few years, so it's good. Well, I'm uh I've been a proponent of just you know the die cuts that are already ready to glue on, and I've always used uh, True Flights, mm-hmm. and I switched to four fletch several, many years ago and I've never looked back. I've just always liked a four inch four fletch and I've, I've gone back and forth from shield cuts to parabolics and between those two, the parabolic is a little lower profile and has just a little less surface area. And I actually was doing a test uh, at a buddy's house where we were shooting arrows down this hallway behind the back of his house. And he had a sliding glass door. And I could stand there and have those arrows fly right past me as he was shooting. And I was actually having him shoot some of my arrows. And I definitely could tell the difference between a parabolic and a shield cut as far as noise. Uh, but man, I just love the looks of a shield cut, but I know that those parabolics are slightly quieter. So I'm always kind of going back and forth between a shield cut and a parabolic. Um, you know, I think it's not that big of a difference to, to really worry. But, um, once again, I think those wet feathers, the shield cuts is what I was shooting and they got a little more surface area and that could have been the difference there. Uh, it's, it's hard hard to tell. Um, yeah. But I would really like to try gateway feathers because I've heard really good things about them. I've just been using the true flights for so long. Um, so, yeah, for the listeners, if anyone wants to send us uh, uh, some messages, I'd love to hear your guys' opinions on all this, on feathers and the different brands that you guys have tried and different ways of waterproofing because this stuff definitely interests me. So, yeah, definitely uh, send us a a message on what you guys are doing. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, it's always good to hear from the guys that hunt in the rain their little tricks. So, yeah. I just like I said, that's I picked mine up, but you know, the reason I do it that way is probably from Danny, you know, when I was started hunting blacktails a lot with a recurve, I was hunting with him and that's that's what he does and he's a jungle guy like you are, so so, transitioning from feathers, let's stick with the arrows. Let's talk some arrows. So okay. we're sure we're Sherwood shaft guys. Um, not opposed to trying uh, other wood shafts out there. I know that there's some different stuff out there, but we just you know it's we've gotten great support from our friends at Sherwood shafts, and they are tough, tough arrows. I mean, man, I have done a lot of stumping and hit a lot of hard things, and uh, head-on impact. They're as strong as uh, even carbon arrows. I mean, they don't take a side glance great, um, you know, getting through, squeaking through some brush or whatever. I've had a, a few, break a few that way, but I've, they've been very durable for me. Um, and for me, wood arrows, I drug my feet a long time going to wood arrows. Uh, I don't know what I was scared of, but they're so durable and, it was kind of like falling in love with traditional archery all over again. Um, it, that was the feeling I got once I started shooting wood arrows and they have, they got soul, baby. They got soul. And I, I could never see, <laughs> I could never see shooting carbon arrows again. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. And I got a lot of friends that shoot them and yeah, wood arrows, there is some, 
you know, the downside is, is they're, you know, they're made in small batches and, you know, sometimes you get a hold of those guys and they don't have the spine class you need and the weights vary. I mean, they match them within five grains, but each group can be different. And so you got to kind of think ahead and get your shafts ahead of time. And there's a little more work to it, but for me, it's, it's worth all the difference. So I'm definitely, uh, on the wood arrow kick for as long as the perceived future. I love them. Yeah, they work good. It seems like there's always kind of a, a lot of the guys that haven't been exposed to them think they're kind of a joke, but they work. That's for sure. No, they work awesome. Matter of fact, the the last three critters that I have killed uh, with the wood shaft, I got in the dirt pass-throughs. I'm talking all the way through arrow in the dirt. Um, so, I mean, guys talk about really skinny carbons and less drag and better penetration. Well, I, I think a lot of that is heavy arrows. Uh, momentum is king. Um, I shoot a 650 grain arrow. Um, that's a number that, uh, has worked great for me. Even, even shooting only 54 pounds, I think I'm like 13, 14 grains per pound. Um, but man, they fly great and, uh, they've had no problem getting through critters so far. Uh, bear, deer, elk. So I, I like, uh, I, I like a really heavy arrow. I think even if I was to be setting somebody up with a low poundage bow, I'd still have them shooting an extremely heavy arrow because I think that that's what uh, gets you the penetration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sitka spruce shafts, I haven't tried those, but that is uh, a wood shaft that I want to try. I've heard really good things about Sitka spruce being a, a very dense, heavy, uh, or a lighter weight shaft. Um that is uh, very strong, and then that could probably lend itself to putting more uh, uh, point weight up there. So, how about the the business end? What uh, I know you've shot a lot of different stuff. Why don't we talk a little bit about broadheads and your experiences with them, Bob? Well, I could. I'll talk a little about arrows and broadheads. I guess the first the first blacktail I killed, the first deer I killed with my recurve. Um. That's kind of a good story. So I had a homemade longbow. I'd made a laminated one, and I was using that, and Danny came up to Blackdale Hunt with me, and we were up there for, you know, 10, 12 days or whatever, took the trailer up, and we are up up in the mountains, and, and he brought, he had a, a blacktail that he just had built like the year before, a 66-inch one-piece, and he'd shot a 66-inch one-piece for years that he'd had that Norm had shot. So this bow was already ancient. So he's like, he needed a new bow. Well, he took that out during elk season, his new one, he missed a bull. And then he got his old bow out and went out and killed his bull. So he's like, I don't need a new one here. You, you know, you shoot this one. He's trying to sell it to me, you know? And so I shot it a little bit. I'm like, wow, I really like this thing. So I took it out and I was shooting, um, I was shooting aluminum. So I was shooting like, I don't know what the size were, just some old game getter twos I'd had laying around with some Savoras and I don't know, three three or four days later a three point came by my tree stand and I shot it and uh 
and that was that. So I bought that bow from him and I had with that bow for a long time, but, but I shot those aluminums that year. And then I just happened, there was a archery shop up in Van, Van Tucky and I went up there and the guy was like, Oh, these, these wood arrow shafts are awesome and blah, blah, blah. You should try these. And I'm like, all right, well, make me up a dozen. And he made them up and they shot. I mean, they shot perfect out of that bow. And so that's the exact same arrow I've shot ever since then. And I don't know what year that was. 12, 13 years ago, probably by now. <laughs> so. And that's a 7075, isn't that what you shoot? Yep. Yep. 7075 spine Sherwood shafts. They're 31 and a quarter to the back of the point. And I shoot 125 grain, uh, woodsman. That's what I shot for all the deer I killed with it. And then I switched up, I guess three years ago, I switched up to just shooting a two blades wiki for, you know, just for the elk and stuff too, to get a little bit better penetration. And that's been working good. So I just been sticking with that, but I like the woodsman on blacktails because it's so thick and it's usually raining. And I just like to have the best possible, blood trail you can you know and and i hit i hit one of the bucks a little far back you know and i don't know he only still only went like maybe 100 yards and was done you know so it's just always good to have options because that's that's a tough place to track deer in the in the jungle i mean they can be 10 feet away and you walk right by them if you don't have a good blood trail so yeah and with absolutely the rain, i always so that's why I always shot, and even if even today, if I went back and I was blacktail hunting, I'd I'd go back to shooting a woodsman, you know, probably a big three blade broadhead, just for that reason. So that's uh that's it. I tried uh, I've tried the little tree sharks or whatever. I shot some of those. Andy had some, he, but I couldn't sharpen them real well. I like I'm not a great sharpener, and. uh it's important that you can sharpen your broadheads well. And those woodsmen's were super easy for me to sharpen. I could just do it with a file. And um, I got good at that over the years. And now I'm starting to get pretty good with those wikis between a file and a a leather strop. Uh, Andy actually gave it to me, but he glued a piece of leather onto plywood. And then he uses that jeweler's rouge. Yeah. And you rub that in there and it's just a little bit coarser, I guess. And, and so I'll just do it all with a file and then hit that leather strop with my Zwickies and get them shaven sharp. I'm not great at it. Some some of those Zwickies take a long time. <laughs> I don't think, I don't know, I don't know if they're made out of the best stuff anymore, but some of them are easier to sharpen than others even when you get a package of Zwickies. I did, Andy gave me some Ace Broadheads last year, and dude, I got those things razor sharp. I've heard that. In minutes. Heard that. But, I've heard that. But my buddy that I was getting into it, the one I was just telling you we're doing the feather project together, he he was having a heck of a time sharpening his Zwickies, and so I just traded him. I'm like, well, I'll take your Zwickies, take these ones, and then I... You're, yeah. you're too nice, Bob. You're too <laughs> nice. So did you switch to the uh, two-blade um, because you were worried about penetration on these big elk you keep killing, or what? Yeah, yeah, I guess a little bit of that. I don't shoot, you know... I don't shoot real heavy poundage. I've had a lot of shoulder issues, so. What do you shoot, 48 pounds? My bows are 48 at 28, yeah. yeah. But, uh, in Oregon, the rule, it, did it just go down to 40 pounds? I think it yeah, did. Yeah. It just did. went down to 40 pounds, but 
The rule was 50 pounds in Oregon. So I would pull it back to where it would hit 50 pounds and then shoot them in Oregon. <laughs> yeah. But now I don't yeah, have to. <laughs> just say you, that. Uh, but you're... I, a lot, most of the time, I only draw like 27 and a half inches. So I'm not shooting a lot of weight. And, yeah. uh, and the, the bull I killed last year, which was just a little, baby three-point bowl basically a big spike with some eye guards <laughs> but uh whatever i couldn't help myself and that arrow went clean through it at about 18 yards so i cleaned it up before season this year resharpened it and then i killed that big five-point nevada with the same arrow exact same arrow same broadhead and andy says it's still good i could probably still shoot it but when he went down, he kind of laid on it, and it's got a big wow in it. And I'm like, eh, I think it's time to retire it. So, so that'll show you. Like, those wood arrows, man, they're they're tough. Like you said, they don't take a side glance. There'll be times you'll be shooting, and you hit a tree, and your arrow flies in half, and you're like, these are garbage. But you can also, like you said, nail some stuff, and they they hold up head, really good. Head on. They, yeah. they I mean, I've had them. I've actually split the, the blunt the steel blunts crack and the shafts are totally fine. Um, and, uh, you Bob's superstitious and it is wearing off on me. Uh, I'll admit. Um, I also, uh, killed a, uh, cow elk with a, uh, arrow and it was perfectly good. So I washed it up and then I went on to kill a buck with the same arrow. Cause I thought if Bob can do it, I'm going to give it a try. That's awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, you talk, you were talking about you guys, uh, oh, you miss, uh, an animal. Now, now that bows, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta retire that one. It's got us, you know, it's, it, it's missed. And man, I, I find, uh, I found myself, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm screwing James all up. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, uh, we were going into a mule deer hunt and I was trying to decide between, uh, which bow I was going to shoot. And Bob was like, well, you missed your bull with that bow and you just got this bow. So take, take the new one. <laughs> and I a lot, thought about a lot that of, first. A lot of exact science behind what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of great science there. That, that missing that bull had absolutely and positively <laughs> nothing to do with that bow and yeah, everything yeah. to do with me, but it made perfectly good logic at the moment. There you go. And uh, uh, I uh, spent the month getting used to the new bow, and um, well, I haven't got any shots with this bow yet, so I don't know. It has. <laughs> I don't well, know. If it's... See, that's that's part of the reason I switched from Woodsman's to Zwicky's. Also, that I didn't want to say was, I've been on a lot of elk hunts with the Woodsman's in my quiver, and I didn't kill any elk. So I was like, all right. Uh, this will be better for penetration, and it's time to try something new. Oh gosh. <laughs> Sounds like I'm gonna have to get a new bow again. Uh, uh so yeah, I and then for me for broadheads to touch on that before we move on to, to bows, um I have limited experience. I've shot I shot a few different heads. I shot the VPA two blade, double bevel head for a short period of time. Um had some bad luck with that head. I deemed it bad luck and uh, got rid of those heads. Good call. Quick. Um, I went to a uh, grizzly single bevel head. 
Uh, had some good luck with that. Uh, my friend Brett Hahn over at Valkyrie Archery, when he was uh, designing those heads and they were in prototype phase and they weren't even named Valkyrie yet, they were called the Green Meanies. They were uh, same same design, but it was before he came out and released them to the public. And I shot those for a little bit and uh, had some good luck with those. But when I switched to Wood Arrows, I uh, went back to the Grizzly. And um, I've had good luck so far as far as shooting animals, pass through, animal dies quick right in front of me. Call that luck. I don't know. Hey. But. I no like blood. Those, I like those grizzlies. They're I can sharpen those. So good. But again, I hunted elk with them a couple seasons, <laughs> and they just not that I even shot anything with them, but they weren't lucky, so I got rid of them. Yeah, well, for me, they've been lucky. There you go. But zero blood on the ground, like none. Like the only reason I didn't have. Like the animal goes down right in front of me, so I don't need a blood trail. So like yeah. that's great, but I'm like, well, where's all the blood at? And there's no blood on the ground, but maybe that's because they died so they, fast. They yeah. died so fast. Yeah, I mean that's better uh, than trailing them, so I would stick with that. Yeah. So, but I, I'll be honest, I've been looking at some different things online. Um, I have uh, interest in a couple heads. One of them is the bone broadheads. Uh, do they we make met a, that. Do they make a glue on? He's coming out with a 160 oh, okay. glue on this spring. Um, he makes a 125 to 200 screw on, and the the, the longer 200 is going to become a 160 glue on. Um, we met him in Michigan. Super nice guy. I think they're from Arizona. I think I so. Think he's from. I, I think he's from New Mexico. I could be. Okay. I could be off New a little bit, but I think. DJ's Arizona. He was New Mexico guy, but yeah, okay. super, super good dude. I wish we'd had more time to hang out, but we're so busy in our booth and doing podcasts that we didn't get to talk to him too much, but yeah. So that bone broadhead looks interesting. It's unique. It's shaped kind of like a roundhead shovel. Um, what do they call that? Cause I know like Grizzly stick made some called like the Maasai. There's a, there's a name they gave that shape of a broadhead. I forget. And there's, I think Ashby did some stuff on it, and it's supposed to, it's supposed to be a good shape, whatever the heck it is, concave yeah, or something. I think. No, because concave is like, it, I think concave Convex is like or something. Uh, yeah, concave is like the Simmons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Simmons the is concave. The op- it's the opposite of that, and that's kind of what I was moving into. Was I, I like a one sixty? And so since they're coming out with the 160, that's got my interest for sure. The guys at Bone Broadheads. But at the same time, man, if you scroll through the internet at all and see what those Centaur Broadheads or those Simmons do to animals, I don't know if it's just uh, the pictures they show, but it's crazy. It looks like somebody threw an axe at the animal. They open them up. I know, dude, but I could never they're, – they're... Tough to sharpen. sharpen, And I'm like Bob. I've tried a lot of things. The KME sharpener, uh, jewel sticks, uh, a lot of different things. And I am sharp and challenged. That's, uh, that, that falls into woodsmanship and that's something I am constantly working on at the point. Uh, now I cheat, I guess, and I'm using that, that, uh, the four inch grinder wheel paper wheel system. And 
it takes just a few minutes and it makes my broadheads scary sharp. And then I finish them up with the same exact strop that Andy was talking about that Andy makes. I have that same with the jewel polish and man, it gets them scary sharp. And that's the system I'm using now. But the problem with that is I can't uh, do that out in the field. So I am guilty of bringing a couple extra sharp heads with me in my bag in case I have to switch heads out. And that's kind of a pain in the butt. So yeah, I need to, uh, I need to up my sharpening gamer, find a head that I can sharpen with ease. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. So yeah, grizzly single bevels are awesome. Uh, that also that, uh, tough head broadhead, which is kind of like a, uh, souped up grizzly that, that head interests me and they've got a new owner over there. He's offering, uh, new weights and new products. So the tough head broadheads, uh, there's so many great ones. And what I love about them all, at least all the ones that I'm interested in are made in the U S which is super important to, to us, you know, that we are using products that are made right here. And it is, I'm looking it up. It's a convex edge. That's convex. It yeah. So look it up on the Ashby study, but I think, uh, long, long study and I can't read that much. Sure. So <laughs> I think the bonehead broadheads look awesome. I think I'm, I may put a few of those in my quiver. Um, I just, I'm definitely a two blade guy, but, um, the three blade something that also probably has a good merit to it. Yeah. Up until, what four or five years ago i had never shot a two blade broadhead i everything compound and since i was a little kid i've always been killed with three blade broadheads until and i've heard those are the easiest to sharpen because you just lay them flat on the file you do two edges at once is that how you do it yeah i would just with those woodsman's you you start filing pretty hard you know and you when, when you file enough you can feel when you're like when it's in the right spot. I don't know how to explain it, but you'll you'll feel it really gripping. And so you hit them hard, you know, each side, flip it over, just keep flipping it around, hitting it hard, and then you just go the way I would do it. And this is probably not the best way, but this was the way I did it. And and then I would go a little lighter each side a few times, keep going around till just lighter and lighter and lighter, and then to where you're just barely just a little touch on each side, and they would. They would pop some hairs, and that was good enough, you know, as good as I could get them. And yeah. Pretty simple. And I just used the – I always shoot 125-grain broadhead, and I just used their, or the original Woodsman or whatever. All right. Well, I'm going to get us some emails on this one. You ready, Bob? Yeah. This is uh, – some guys aren't going to like this, but this is uh, – Bob's not a tinker. I'm a bit of a tinker. I did a lot of tinkering with arrows when I was shooting carbons. And I played, uh, I think what Dr. Ed Ashby did is awesome. Uh, he knows more than me. I'm just going to share my personal experience. And I found that, uh, high FOC, I played with that a bunch. And my conclusion to trying a lot of different shafts, uh, the super micro shafts, the, the, you know, five sixteenths to the nine thirty second access shafts. Um, and I tried high, high, I, I made some arrows that got into the 30, like 31, 30 FOC. Um, and I know that stuff has a lot of merit, but for me, 
the conclusion I came up with and all that stuff was middle of the road. Um, a, uh, a 20 FOC with a heavy shaft. And the reason why I said that was in my experience, when I built up these extreme heavy, uh, forward of center arrows, I was giving up, um, I was giving up durability in the shafts. I would get these thin walled shafts so I could take a lot of weight off the rear and put it all up front. I ran 250, 350, 400, 420 grains up front. And, you know, people say, yeah, it's like throwing a rock with the string behind it. And I get that. But man, in, in high wind conditions, in extreme rainy conditions, um, yeah, the arrow goes to where you're looking and it flies there, but I got a lot of wiggling. No matter how much I tuned, I could never get, I could get perfect arrow flight and I could get clean paper tuning, but then I threw in wind, I threw in rain, I threw in brush and I would get inconsistencies in my, uh, uh, arrow flight, which I couldn't live with. And I found a heavier shaft that was thicker walled for carbons were a lot more durable and still having considered, you know, still pretty high FOC in the 20, uh, 22, 23, I could get uh, a forgiving shaft in all the elements. So that was my experience, and you know, I thought I'd share it with the listeners. And I know we're gonna get a lot of guys that say, "Oh, well, you didn't do this right. You didn't do the right, that right." You're probably right. I probably didn't. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm. I, uh, I'm not gonna argue with Ashby. I mean, I, no, I think he's no. uh, go with what he says. But I just know I just not a tinker, and it's hard with wood arrows to get uh, extreme FOC unless you want to shoot a eight or nine hundred grade arrow, and yeah. And that's just too much. So, well, even I, then, I, I, I always even thought, then, I thought the, even, the wind was supposed to be better. And I called Snyder. He did a bunch of podcasts on it and talked to him about it. But I, I thought when I was reading that Ashby stuff that if you had more FOC, then you would get less effects from the wind. And a lot of guys, that's why they're shooting shorter feathers with their high FOC setups because they were able to get away with it. But, I, I have a lot of issues in the wind where I'm at. You know, where I was, when I was in Nevada this year, it was windy. It was so damn windy. And just out stump shooting, like, man, it, just a little bit of wind makes it, my arrows don't fly perfect and it bugs me, you know, and so, um, I got, I got lucky the morning I killed my bull, you know, it wasn't windy and I, you know, I had some, kind of some opportunities on super windy days and you just gotta you know i was like i can't shoot today unless i get really really close you know and uh and so i had andy on that hunt we went on i had him make me up some four inch you know just three four inch parabolics some smaller feathers maybe they catch a little less in the wind and i'm you know i only shoot 125 grain tip that's probably part of it um you know who knows what but well I know those high back feathers probably catch a little more. I, I had come a, a low profile four fletch and I'm shooting those grizzlies, which is a really aerodynamic, not a real wide long head. Mm -hmm. So maybe that contributes to it. But I found that, you know, even we were hunting in some high winds over there in Hart Mountain, 
I was doing some uh, brush shooting, you know, shooting some sage and getting some nice arrow flight. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, it's it's hard to decide. I think uh, also I contribute some of that to my uh, my D-shaped longbow, which I feel is very, very forgiving. And uh, I seem to, you know, I'm really happy with the, the matchup I have with my current setup, which, like I said, is a Sherwood shaft. 650 grains. It's a 31 inch arrow, 160, 155 grain grizzly up front, four fletch, uh, shield cuts, and I'm uh, coming in at 14 FOC. I'm just going to start taking naps and drinking beer on windy days instead. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right? But you know what? It's hard because. That's probably not you- Ashby steady. You can get close to animals in yeah, the wind. Yeah, exactly. So Just that get closer. Yeah. So let's, you know, sorry if I offended anybody on the high FOC, like Bob said, that's, that study's proven and it's awesome. But I, uh, just found, I think in, a, in anything, when you push the envelope to extremes, you can get some extreme, uh, data from that and finding the middle ground. On anything you do, can you can find forgiveness, and and that's my takeaway uh, in tuning arrows at this point in time. And I'm sure I'll change my mind about that eventually, or maybe I won't. But that's kind of where I'm at with it. And, yeah, uh, yeah, no, there's good good points there. I think, you know, for me, I I guess I consider myself mostly an instinctive shooter. I mean, I do know my point ons at 40, you know, so if I know an animal's, you know, 35 or whatever, I, I would say I'm an instinctive shooter out to about 32 yards or something like that. And yeah. even when I shoot, when I don't pay attention to that, you know, like that bull, I shot right under that great big bull in Nevada this year. I didn't think about it. I, you know, I, it was a quick shot and I just picked a spot and I was just, I just shot right under him because I didn't take the, that he was a little further out there in, in consideration. So I think for me, like I've shot the same, you know, what the blacktail I had for 12 years or whatever, that was 48 at 28. This new Wolfer I got from Dick, it's 48 at 28. I'm shooting the exact same arrows. They're the same weight, same length. I got the same sight picture, you know, like it's, it's all the same. And so for me, I see these guys constantly, constantly switching back and forth and this bow to that bow and these arrows to that arrow to this weight and that weight. And man, for me, I, well, I would lose all my confidence. And I think confidence, confidence in your equipment, whatever it is, is very underrated. I think, I think a lot of guys, I mean, if, if you're confident going out there, I mean, it just, the mind is a powerful thing, especially doing what we're doing, which is, I know we just had, had G Fred Asbell on and he said it's not magic, but <laughs> part of it is, is that, you know, it's all in your head. And if you, if you're confident in it, I mean, that's, that's worth more than, more than anything to me. So that's why I yeah. have my lucky pants and, and my, all my, all my weird stuff I got going on. Yeah, man, I think uh, some of it kind of does feel like magic at times, and and I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. Um, there is a saying that says, fear the man that shoots one bow, and I subscribe to that. Um, I have several bows um, at the moment, um, but 
man, I, I, I find it impossible. Like I feel like I'm, I'm in a committed relationship with the current bow and the other ones are just actually just simply backups or they're collecting dust. Like they're not even, I don't shoot them. I don't think about them. They're, I'm not going to, if I go, if I put one, you know, if I were to put the one down and pick up the other one, decide to do that, then that's, it's a new committed relationship. And the other one is just on the bench. There is no like, I'm going to shoot this bow today and that bow tomorrow. For me, I have to feel super confident in my arrow setup and my bow setup. And it doesn't matter if I'm shooting a 3d tournament, uh, indoor archery, which I don't really do, but you know, here and there, um, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. It's that, that bow, that's my girl and, uh, and those arrows. And I, I just feel that it's super important for as an instinctive archer to have that, uh, mindset and that relationship with that setup. So yeah. my, I'm programmed to that and th- there is no, there is no, uh, interference with that. And so that's, Okay, you know, and I'm I'll sure. give you a little story on that one. So one of those years I was having some issues and I was trying to switch to the elevated rest. Okay. I had, <laughs> I had carbons. It was a, it was a mess And my shoulder. This was, I think this was a year or two before I had surgery. And so I was trying to shoot the elevated rest and I got where I thought it was good, but it just wasn't feeling right. And I mean, it was getting to where it was end of season and I stuck with it. <sighs> And I was, you know, I was shooting pretty good. I don't even remember. I was shooting like some Easton Axes on a little bear weather rest. And I was hunting, hunting here in the Cascades and, and, uh, I was working my way up this drainage. It was just beautiful. You know, it's old timber and ferns and bugle and there was elk sign in there and, and nothing answered. And so I was, kind of working my way out of the timber up on this ridge that was probably 30-year-old reprod. So I was in the little transition between the timber and the reprod, and it was pretty thick and, you know, viney and stuff. And I had just set up and called for a little bit, so I'd had an arrow knocked, and I got to the edge of that stuff, and I, I had to put my arrow away, you know, back in my quiver and crawl through the brush. You know how that is. And I kind of kind of go down through some stuff, and I kind of pop back up. And I look over and I see the face of a, just a beautiful big old blacktail buck. And I could see, I can see one side of his antlers and they curled all the way around. You know, oh. like that front curl where it curls and uh. like you could picture them almost touching in the front. I mean a big, uh. and it is probably 12 yards away max. And mm. it's standing there and so half of its face is covered. Its whole body is covered. Except for the kill zone, there's like a perfect hole. <laughs> it's like ten yards away, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, look at that thing!" And I'm like, "Well, I'm, I just remember telling myself I was picking, I was just looking right where, you know, I was like looking at my spot, and I was like, "There's no way it's gonna let me knock this arrow." And I'm just real slow knocking the arrow, and I get it on the string, and I knock. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, it just let me knock this arrow." There's no way it's gonna let me pull back, and I, you know, I bring my bow up. And I start to pull back. And as I get about halfway, I'm like, I'm going to shoot this thing. It's This is perfect. And I pull back and just let her go as soon as it hit the corner of my mouth. And I don't know. I blame it on the elevated rest because I was so used to for so many years shooting off the shelf. Yeah. I shot high. And I just yeah. skipped it right off his back. 
and oh. I, and the, that thing ran off, and it was just a toad. Oh. I just remember going like, "What happened?" Oh, like, I want to oh. cry, Bob. Yeah, I went home and ripped that rest off my bow and got my old woodies back out. <laughs> it was rough. So anyway, I've had a few experiences along the way like that when I do start tinkering to where it just sends it back home to where what the heck were you doing? Just go back to what works. So tell us about your uh, your uh, evolution and you know bows and you've gone from recurve you've always been a recurve guy have you you played with some longbows what what yeah, what's your I, what's your when i was probably when i was 18 i built some longbows i got um got one of those videos on how to make a longbow this is way back in the day this is my first ex-wife got me a video for christmas or something on how to build your own so i was living with my buddies and the and uh we had a basement you know and I converted that into the bow shop, basically. I made a laminating oven, you know, with the light bulbs and did all that stuff. And then I built a few long bows. My buddy Scott, which we got to get on here soon. We've, yeah, we did we'll one with him, but we, we recorded over it or something. We've done that a couple of times. But anyway, um, I built one for him. He actually killed a spike bull that year, and he killed a few things with him. But I never did. Um, I'd hunt with him here and there, like off and on. and. And, uh, when I was younger than that, the first recurve I bought was, was, a just a Damon Howitt hunter or whatever when I was probably 15. And then when I was 17, I ordered a bighorn longbow. I right. hunted with that. Yeah. I hunted with that. Never got anything with that thing. And then. I built my own for a couple of years, and then I ordered uh Chastain Wapiti recurve. I hunted with that a couple times, didn't kill anything, and I ended up actually letting a borrow my butt, buddy of mine borrow that. I never got it back. But I was stupid back then. I mean, I ordered the thing with 70-pound limbs. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. But uh anyway, so, yeah. That kind of just kept going off. You know, I'd switch back and forth between the compound for a long time. And it took me a long time to get her figured out. But I got that. And then I told you the story already when I got that, acquired the blacktail. And by then I think I'd, I'd tinkered and hunted long enough and had a, you know, I think just hunting with guys that are successful there's something about it that helps and makes you successful. And it's the little things like when you're out traditional bow hunting, it's like, man, it seems impossible. <laughs> and Ooh. I was always like this lone guy out there. Like, what the hell are you doing? You know, everybody, all my family and friends, they all hunt with compounds. And I was just the guy that would show up with a recurve one year and they'd be like, what are you doing? Robert? You're an idiot. You know? And, and I'd be like, yeah, I probably am. And then I wouldn't get anything, you know, but then I started hunting with Danny and it's like, he, this guy kills stuff every year and it just rubs off. There's just something about it that you just break that curse and then it's just gone. And that's kind of what happened with, with the black tail. And then I think I, I think I killed, you know, killed black tails three or four consecutive years there with my recurve. And, and then it took me, you know, four or five more years of elk hunting to try to, to finally break the curse there. And now I'm four elk in and, four bowls so it just takes time man a lot of time a lot of practice and then you got to get that confidence because 
and, th- and that's where all these these shooting clinics and and Turner and you know uh, Tom Clum and all that stuff the push guys are doing and and Clay Hayes he's got a bunch of YouTube videos um, all that stuff wasn't around when I started so I was reading the the instinctive shooting books by Fred Asbell and and I think it just to to kind of master that takes a long time and. I wasn't able to shoot as many arrows as you. I mean, you got shoot every day. And, yeah. Uh, I had a torn labrum and bicep tendon and stuff I was dealing with for most of that time. So it just took longer. And I'm slower and dumber than most people. So there you go. Right. Yeah, I, I started. Somewhere I somewhere in there, too, I, I got a fatal stick from Dick, a recurve. And uh, I killed an antelope and that you know, mule deer. And I had good luck with that bow, but I was doing CrossFit at the time and I actually got really strong and my shoulders started feeling good. And so that's why I ordered that fatal stick. And I ordered that at 58 pounds and I wish I could shoot that weight. I mean, I think that's for elk hunting and deer hunting. And I think shooting, you know, 55 to 58 pounds. I mean, I think that's ideal, but I ended up having to kind of lay off on the CrossFit and go back to work in my second job plumbing and stuff. And, and I just, my, I lost a lot of my strength and it, and the shoulder just started killing me. So I had to, well, that's, that's funny. I, I, I've got a, I've got a, uh, similar story, but very different. Um, I, when I switched from the compound, it was really out of boredom. I was, really bored shooting a compound because I like to shoot every day and hitting the 12 ring every time was just not very rewarding. It was boring. And I'd, uh, killed a couple bulls and a bear and buck. And I was just kind of like wanting to move on. And man, did I pick something difficult to move on to? And I started with the Hoyt Buffalo, which seemed like a natural, like, transition since I was used to going to the archery shops and whatever. And so I bought one of those and I think I got 60 pound limbs and it was really hard for me to figure out how to shoot. And then I got some 40 pound limbs and I ordered the masters, the barebow videos and, uh, kind of learned, you know, taught myself at home. I had a few guys that were showing me Norm Johnson, uh, his instruction, uh, wasn't that helpful. He was kind of doing it with something I didn't relate to. I'm not sure what it was. Uh, a few other guys just, I was having a, it was hard for me at first, but then I started figuring out my own system and, um, I'd had a deposit. It takes like a year and a half to get a bow from blacktail bows. And I'd finally gotten one and it was like a 60 pounder. And I got another one that was a few pounds lighter and, um, I had gotten a long bow. I was kind of becoming a boho and getting all kinds of blacktail bows and really, uh, playing with those. And, and, uh, I was doing some CrossFit and I actually hurt myself in CrossFit and I had to start going down in bow weight because of the injury. And, um, I got a, I ended up getting a bow, a bow from Alan Boyce. Um, I was, uh, out shooting with some friends and I picked up one of Alan's bows 
and I shot it and it felt like magic. I had never shot something that shot itself. I mean, it just felt like, man, this bow is amazing. Uh, Liberty Longbows, Alan Boyce, he's from Roseburg, you know, a couple hours away. And I was, I wanted to get a bow from him and he's like, yeah, I could build one. I said, no, I want this one right here. And he goes, well, that's my personal bow. And I said, huh, I, I'd like this one. And I talked about it, that bow. <laughs> and, uh, shortly after getting my hands on it, I went blacktail hunting and killed a nice buck and broke the ice and it felt amazing. And that was a uh, Liberty edge. Um, I, I went on to uh, get another bow from Alan, and you know he makes absolutely amazing bows. They're so beautiful. You couldn't buy a bow from a nicer guy. Um, and he has a collection of woods from Oregon. He's got Oregon myrtle, yew uh, wood, and uh, some Oregon maple that are like triple A plus grade, like better than any boyer I've ever seen. I mean, he collected this wood over the last twenty years. And man, if, uh, if pretty Oregon woods are important to you, man, this guy's holding on to the best of the best. Um, so, uh, yeah, big shout out to Alan. He makes an amazing bow. And, um, I'm currently shooting a, uh, I got a whole, I've always another experience. I'm always shooting people's bows when I go to these big shoots. I kind of want to know what's out there. And so I'm always trying, you know, everything, Black Widow, Centaur, um, uh, Wes Wallace, South Cox. I mean, I have put my hands on everything. Dragonfly, uh, shirt, a sh sh shrew. Um, I mean, there's probably nothing, any major bow. I've tried them all. And I tried a, uh, Tolkien whip and I was like, I fell in love. And, and then I tried a Tolkien super D. And man, I had an, an instant, uh, um, it was just amazing. So I got a hold of Dan Tolkey. He sent me a whip to try. And at the time I was also shooting a Liberty and I kind of liked the Liberty, uh, better than the whip. And then he sent me his new whistler, which is like a smaller whip. And that was, that bow is not for me, man. I took it to Michigan with me. I could not shoot that bow to save my life. Uh, it was like a 58-inch bow. I I hated it, to tell you the truth. It was terrible for me. Um, I'm sure a lot of guys like it, but, man, it was horrible. And I got back I got back up with uh, Dan Tolkey and told him, I think, you know, that the Super D is really uh, the one I should be shooting. He built me one of those, and, man... It is, it's, I'm in love. It, it is so awesome. I can't wait to kill something with it, but it is, <laughs> it is so much fun to shoot. I feel like I can do everything wrong. I can pluck the string, drop my bow arm, uh, collapse. I can do all the worst things and I still, the arrow goes where it's supposed to, uh, I don't know what it is about a, a straight limbed D shaped, you know, hill style or whatever you call it, a uh, English style longbow, but that's, that's my flavor. I love the profile. I love the way they look. I love the way they shoot. Um, I'm, I'm all over that. Um, to the point where 
I was over at Alan's house shooting some of his and uh, telling him kind of what I like in a bow. And we kind of put our heads together and he designed a new bow. Um, he's calling the, I think he's calling the new English and he's got some prototypes of that. And um, I'm going to be getting that in my hands here in a few weeks. And I'm looking forward to, cause I really love Alan and, and his bows. And so I'm really looking forward to trying that, but yeah, at the current, State. I'm shooting a Super D from Dan Tolke and uh, looking forward to trying Alan's uh, version. So that's kind of where I'm at with uh, with bows. And man, I I love traditional archery. It is the best. And Alan's been building bows for a long time. Yeah, like 30 years or yeah, something. Yeah, those are, those are sweet. I have one of his. What is mine? The classic or something? It's like classic old school string follow one. And I yeah. have. I have days of magic with that thing, and then I have days of look out. <laughs> yeah. So, um, still there, working on that. Yeah. If there's one guy, I when people ask me about bows, uh, you're always going to get from me. Get a hold of Alan Boyce at Liberty Longbows. He makes, uh, like he said, a string follow, an English D shaped. He makes a uh, the Chief, which is a reflex deflex. He makes an extreme reflex deflex, the edge. It almost looks like a horse bow, or at least kind of, sort of, of that look. I mean, he makes five or six different models of longbows. He now is offering the bull bolt system. He makes a two-piece bull bolt system, um, which I know you have from Dick Robertson. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I can tell you that one bow that I haven't shot is... I have not shot Dick's D-shaped longbows, and that is high on my list. He uh, is one of my favorite guests on the show, and I've seen a lot of different pictures of his D-shaped bows, and that is uh, definitely uh, one of our listeners was sending me some messages telling me how much he loves Dick's D-bow. Um, I, I don't know what he calls it. He's got the primal stick, and he's got another one, but... I'm definitely interested in those. So yeah, that's kind of my flavor is the old school English D D shaped bow. Cause they're so forgiving. They're not fast, but man, are they forgiving? Yeah, they're pretty sweet. That's for sure. That, that bow bolt, um, that I'm shooting right now that Dick makes and is so slick. I had, like I said, I had the takedown fatal stick from him. And you just don't end up ever, like, at least I didn't. I never really ended up taking my bow down because, you know, you're going to have an Allen wrench with you. You're taking bolts out. and You know, it's just like da-da-da-da-da. You're just, you're always busy. Yeah. You know, when you're hunting, I, you're always, like, in a hurry. At least I am. I'm always I've in a never, hurry. I've never liked a three-piece takedown. Yeah. And I've owned several of them, and they just are not my flavor. But that that bow bolt just breaks in the half in the middle, and that wolfer is kind of like a, it's a recurve, but it's not recurved a ton. So yeah. you can string it like a longbow. You know, you just stick it under your foot, and you can take the string off and on, which is nice because I was always super nervous. I never did that with a, a you know, a more recurved recurve, and I'd always have to use a stringer. So then you have to have a stringer with you. You have to have uh Allen wrench, some place to put the bolt. You know, it's just like a pain. Well, that one, I all the time, I would just pop the string off and you just click it in half and wrap it in something and throw it in the back, you know, like even, you know, running around the desert and that ranger that side by side, you could just break it down and 
throw it in the back and yeah. take you a minute. And so I find myself doing that all the time. And especially if you're going to be like backpack hunting or something, I mean, you could, it's, it's just really slick. It's shorter. And I was always, I'm always, you know, I shot that long bow for a long time. And I think you do, you know, I think there is something about a longer bow. There are less string pinch and, you know, all that stuff on your fingers. A little more stable, kind of like a Cadillac. But this one, like I was telling Dick on the interview the other day, I feel a little more like an Indian, which is awesome. And yes, it's uh, it's got good mojo. And I uh, I took it out. I haven't shot since that last hunt we went on November. I and I took the wife and kid out to a little 3D course from our club here. What is it? A week or two ago, and and I mean I was just raining them in there. The first shot I think was like a. I don't know, 25 yarder. And then the second one was like 35 and they were both just perfect. And that's the first two shots. I'm like, yes, this is nice. And it suits the same arrows, the same. I don't have to change anything. I love that little bow. Plus it's just beautiful juniper, juniper bow. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Dick, Dick sounds like from, I've heard from a lot of guys, Dick definitely put some mojo into his bows. <laughs> yeah. I love that guy, man. He's always a good time. That's for sure. Um, yeah, so staying on the, and also going back to my love for the Debo, I, I think besides that it's forgiving, uh, if guys haven't shot them, the other two, uh, attributes that I really love about a traditional straight limbed bow, A, you're not going to find a quieter shooting bow. I mean, holy, yeah, I mean, yeah, they don't make, that. they make no noise. It's, it's, it's tremendously quiet. And, um, I like the feeling myself, which you may not because of your shoulder. I like that really firm back wall. I like, like, it's just like a brick house when I get back there to my draw, where with the recurve for me, it feels really gushy. And even like the reflex deflex bows that real, I feel I can get a clinger release and I can get off the string, uh, real nice with the, the straight limb bow. And I think that that, uh, is one of my big attractions to it. Yeah. And, um, so moving from that, uh, I think self bows, I'm, I love the idea. Like on paper, I love the romantic romance of, a, of a self bow. I am scared of falling in love with one and it breaking right in the middle of my hunt though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that could be a problem. That's for sure. It's, that's the, the, the reason I haven't switched is because, like I said before, I love shooting the same bow, you know, and you get confidence in that bow and, and you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just, those self-bow guys are constantly shooting a new bow because they kind of have to because eventually they break. Yeah, so. our our good buddy, uh, Carson Brown over at uh, Echo Archery, he builds a, a really, really nice self-bow. I took his self-bow class last year. And over four days, I learned how to, uh, you know, build my own self bow. My bow came out like 35 pounds, which was kind of a bummer. Um, but I want to do it again. And I think, I don't think I'm in a rush to jump into the self bow, but I believe that it's something that as my kids get grown up and I have more time, I think that that's, for me, it's the ultimate. Like Dick, you know, said, like that's the, it's the ultimate challenge. And so I think self bows are definitely in my distant future for sure. I mean, they are guys that 
you know, kill stuff with self bows. Uh, I'm just not worthy at this point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So sticking on to the bow and arrow thing, uh, I think the string is a super important, uh, um, thing that is overlooked. Um, and as the tinker, I have tried a lot of strings. Uh, I'm guilty of not making my own yet, something I need to get into. But I have tried a ton of strings. Um, I've tried Silent But Deadly. Uh, I've tried uh, Ten Ring Strings, uh, Mountain Mufflers. Uh, now I've tried a lot of them. Uh, the strings from Blacktail, the strings from a lot of different makes and models. And uh, currently, my favorite string builder, not just saying this because he's our friend, but Andy uh, over at Addictive Archery, um, he makes uh, my favorite string. Maybe it's because he's just willing to customize it to my exact specs. Um, I kind of learned this from Joel Turner. Um, I, I find that a really skinny string, you might pick up two, three feet per second. But I found them very unforgiving, um, very finicky. I found that that my arrow tuning uh, was giving me a lot of my problems. And arrow tuning was simply those really skinny little strings. Um, and knock fit is extremely important. Um, having a, and all those string makers will ask you which knock you're shooting, and they'll get that exact knock fit. So that's super important. But I, I'm really liking the, um, it's the, uh, X material from, uh, BCYX, or is that, is that, is that the, you got BCY? me, bro. I don't know anything about it. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's BCY is the string and it's X is the, is the uh, particular one from them. And, the Angel Majesty Serving, which I think might be from Europe or something. It's super slick. And I like a 22 strand. Or maybe it's a 24, but it's a, it's a pretty thick string. And I don't care if I'm losing a few feet per second. I find forgiving. And I think that seems to be what I keep talking about with my arrow setup, my broadhead setup, my bow setup is I'm not the best at anything. And so I want very forgiving, right down the middle of the road, nothing extreme because in bow hunting and bow hunting in the thick brush, uh, I want to be able to make mistakes and, and uh, have a setup that is forgiving to, uh, my downsides. So that's what I like in strings. And for, I also find that I only need just a little wool puff ball. I don't need four or five of them on there. I don't need, I don't like cat whiskers. They, they seem to be, uh, they make a noise I don't care for. So I like a little wool puff ball that Andy makes. And uh, I spray that with that no snow to waterproof it so it doesn't hold a bunch of water. And that's that's my string setup. And moving to uh, quivers. Uh, I've tried uh, all the quivers. Um, man, I... I wish that I, I liked the Selway better because I love the guys at Selway, but I mean, I love Bob at Great Northern just as well. And I love Great Northern quivers. Um, I like that they're lightweight. I like that it wraps on there. Uh, I like that the five arrows are in a bundle, three in the front, two in the back. 
I like that configuration. The arrows don't stick out in front of my bow. They stay tight, tight in a little bundle close to my bow. Um, yeah, that's, that's my go-to. I know Bob shoots the same. I really like that, the Great Northern Quiver. They are, uh, just really well thought out of, uh, really well thought out and, uh, really do what I want them to do in a quiver. Um, I did try, uh, I love Rod Jenkins over there at Safari Tough. He was nice enough to, uh, send me his, uh, doinker or donker. I don't know. I probably, probably axed that one, but he's got a self-contained quiver. Super good design. I spent months trying to get used to that because I like the idea of keeping my feathers dry, which we stopped, we were talking about earlier. And I think that, um, in a tree stand application, that could be the way to go because your feathers are contained and they're not getting wet. But for spot and stock and moving through the brush, uh, man, I got to have those arrows hooked to my bow. It just didn't work for me having that, that extra piece of thing that was getting caught up in the brush. And so that's kind of my quiver situation. Um, how about you, Bob? Have you tried back quivers or different quivers? Uh, yeah, I've, I've tried them. I, it's just hard to not, it's hard when you're so used to a bow quiver. I've done the, this, I had uh, a little side quiver made for me. Uh, that worked pretty good when I was shooting that long bow. Uh, I could, I could get used to that one probably. Uh, John Strunk made it for me. He makes a little fleece. It's fleece lined. I don't know what he makes it out of, but it's just, it's pretty slick. I still got it around somewhere, but man, when you're hunting out west and you got a pack on and you got your binoculars and just all your stuff, just like one more yeah. thing wrapped around your neck is just, it just gets in the way. But I, I hunted with it one full year. I hunted, you know, the jungle bulls over here and, uh, and it worked surprisingly well, even crawling through the brush and, and you can get to your arrows really quick. I mean, I, I could get used to that. Um, but I think I shoot better too with just used to a little more weight on my bow from shooting for so long. So I've yeah. also tried the, oh, the cat quiver. I've tried that here and there. Is that like what Carson uses? I don't know. It's a, it's like a back quiver, but your arrows are kind of held in there under like tension. Kind of oh, okay. Backwards. It's got a little pack on the top. They make, they make several different models. That Dennis Comstra guy that does the column. I don't know if he still does it. Kind of does little tip articles and TBM all the time. Um, he used used it a lot, and I know like uh, there's a lot of guys that use it. It's, I think it's just a getting used to it type thing. And, and I've shot animals too when I didn't have a bow quiver on there, and then. I, I, I was shooting that antelope I shot. Okay. I had a, uh, I think I had like a Selway or Thunderhorn or something and, and I was in a blind. So I took it off, uh, you know, and I just laid the quiver on the ground. Well, I shot that antelope, but I, I hit a little high and it took off running behind the blind. And, you know, it's me and my buddy in one of those double bull blinds. So there's a big mound for the pond we're sitting at. So it takes off running behind that. So we, of course, we just bail out you know, to see where the heck this thing goes, bail out, blinds going all over the place, you know, we're shuffle out of there. I got my bow in my hand because, you know, never leave home without that. 
Well, then I run out there, and it did a circle, and it's running back by. Like, here it comes, like right by us. And I look down. I don't have an arrow with me. I'm like, son oh. of a gun. <laughs> so then I run back into the quiver to try to get, you know, to grab an arrow. And then by the time I come back out, he did another circle, and he ran right back by us again and took off. And I could have shot it a couple times at my bow quiver on there. But he ended up just running out there and falling over dead. But but uh, I'm just so used to it. It's I don't think I'll ever change it. I don't I don't see a need no. to. But yeah, yeah I'm just shooting the. I've uh, I've had a couple selways, but it's just a superstition thing. The Great Northern for me has been working, so good luck. Yeah, I stick with that. It's good luck. So yeah, I I do like shooting my Super D without a quiver because it seems like it's on the next level quiet. Like if it goes from being quiet to like next level quiet. Yeah. But huh, like as a Western bow hunter, like you said, you got your you got your pack and your binoculars and your bugle tube and uh, whatever else on and it just seems like you you know and you're moving through the brush it's just easy to push that bow in front of you or I so I'll toss my bow guys say say yeah right but I'll get through that by maple I'll just chuck my bow over the end of it and then climb on my belly get through and pick my bow up uh, which seems crazy but man when you hunt this super thick stuff sometimes that's your only option to to progress forward so that's kind of my go-to. Um, is definitely all, I'm a bow quiver guy. I, I, there seems to be no way around it. Um, but I could see maybe hunting out of a tree stand with that safari tough, just so that my feathers would stay dry and my bow would be on next level quiet for those skittish blacktails. So that that's something that could happen. I I wouldn't put that past me. Uh, I've I shot, think that I've shot deer out of a tree stand on the second shot though that. Like I said before, I probably probably wouldn't have happened if I would have had my arrows hanging in the tree next to me, you know. No, but I could have no. My pack could be off, hanging in the tree. Mm-hmm. I could have that quiver on, and I can actually load an arrow out of that safari tough just as fast or faster. I mean, I can load them fast. What I found was a downside, though, when we were hunting mule deer, is I like to stump shoot a lot, and I had that stumper buried because i didn't want the first arrow or second arrow or third arrow that i get to be a stump and so that was really bugging me because i would have to dig it out and then but when i'm sitting in a tree i'm not stumping so i think for tree stand hunting blacktails i i may just rock that because a totally dry arrow i can load it fast i can have it right there with me um and blacktails are kind of my number one so that may be something i go to for sure uh, yeah, uh, I think the only thing I left out in my setup, because I'm particular about everything, is I do want to give a shout out, because I hope they never stop making these. It's uh, Bear Paw makes a knock, and I've tried all the different knocks, and for wood arrows, Bear Paw makes this very slender knock that's low profile, and it it clicks on nice for me. And that, that's my favorite knock. So I don't think it's well known. Uh, Andy turned me on to it. So if guys are not happy with the knock they're shooting, uh, on their wood arrows, give bear paw knocks a look, um, and support them because I want that knock to stay in production because it's my favorite. There you go. Yeah. Did we forget anything on, uh, bow and arrow setups at all? I don't think so. I think, I think we covered it all very. Thoroughly. Yeah, very thoroughly. So uh, do you think you're going to pull out that self bow anytime soon, Bob? I actually, um, 
I took the one I I won I won one of the longbow safari that Carson raffled, but it's like sixty pounds, and I just I took it the other day and shot it, and uh, it's just too much weight, man. It just killed me. So and so it's. But uh, he's got one. He's got one I made when I did a John Strunk class out of Ocean Spray, and it was a little green when I made it. So it was, it was in the low forties probably, and then it dried up over a couple of years. I had it sitting around the house, and now it's like. So I got to go over there with him and and uh, work on it a little bit. But if that comes out at the right weight, then yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind tinkering around with. Uh, Ocean spray? Is that an yeah. Oregon native wood? I don't know if it's native, but it, yeah, it's definitely from here. The, the Indi- Indians used to use it for all kinds of stuff. They called it iron wood, so it's been well, around here for a while at least. <laughs> I built my I built my first one out of Osage, which I think's like the go-to self-bow wood. Yeah, I think that's um, pretty much the most indestructible. It sounds like. Yeah, and when I was building that in class, I had a choice between that and you wood. And one guy in my class, in uh, the Echo Archery class, used U-Wood. And the whole time we built our bows, I was jealous of the U-Wood bow. And so uh, maybe it's because it's from Oregon. Maybe it's the color. I don't know. But I think my next one I build will be U-Wood. And, uh, yeah, I, got I, could... a, I got a couple good pieces of U over at Carson's that I've had been saving for probably five or six years now. So, And he said they look great. So I think I got a couple shots at making some bows out of that when i get some time yeah carson's the yoda he's our yoda yep. yeah and i think if you get a bow from you know i don't know it's just it's all uh it's all opinion but a self bow in my opinion is a bow that you built yourself and if someone else made it it's just a wood bow it's a really cool wood bow uh, that's kind of how i look at it yeah yeah there's a lot of opinions on that yeah, well, you know what they say about opinions. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I think this was a great episode to, you know, let our listeners know kind of how we feel about the bow and arrow and where we're at with it in, in terms of uh, preferences and uh, the equipment that we prefer. Um, I hope you guys, uh, you know, got something from this and we would love some interaction from you guys. Um, you know, you can go on, we'll try to post some pictures up of our setups on our Instagram page that'll go along with this episode. And if you guys, uh, you know, want to educate us because, you know, we, we are not know-it-alls by no means, uh, feel free to send us a, uh, an email or a private message. Our email is tradquestpodcast at gmail.com, or you can send us a private message on Instagram at tradquest. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys on that topic. Um, also, uh, don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. And uh, as you can see, we're doing the Patreon. Um, if you guys want to donate to us, we're going to give back to you guys uh, through our giveaways. Uh, yeah, stay in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you guys. And always keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot. Shoot straight. Yeah.